run side by side with him on this this evening. So I invite your attention as we discuss the lesson entitled Our Plea. And when we talk about our plea, I'm talking about the plea of the of Christians today, the Lord's Church, the Churches of Christ. And I invite your attention back to the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles, chapter 35, verses 17 through 18. Oh, we're going to do a lot of Bible reading tonight, by the way. So if you've got your Bible, I hope you do. I'd love for you to read along with me because this is a message about going back to the book. And it's not going to be just a bunch of references where we're going to be reading the book because whatever I have to say is inferior to what God has to say. So we begin in Second Chronicles 35, verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, And the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. From the days of Samuel until this keeping of the Passover was approximately a 400-year period. For 400 years, this most significant feast of the Jews was not observed in the manner referred to in this passage. Now it had been observed during those years, but what was it about this particular feast that was different than the others? To answer that, we go back a chapter to Second Chronicles 34 and verse 14 with Josiah on the throne. The word of God says, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, and basically what they're doing is, is cleaning up the temple. When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now right there, that gives us a clue as to what the problem is. When you have to find the word of God. That means somebody is hidden in the way. Somebody has neglected it, neglected it. Somebody has put it out of sight. They had gone so far away from God that they had to actually find it, dig it up. So they had found the book of the law of the Lord. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 19, King Josiah heard God's word. It came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. He proceeded in verse 30 to have the word of God read to the people of Judah. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and the people, all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. In verses 31 through 33. And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. 
And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. In short, what made this Passover different than the majority of the ones prior to it was the fact that those observing it were returning to God's word as their authority in determining how to observe it. In 2 Kings 23 and verse 21, in, in correlation with this passage here that we just read, the Bible says, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as it is written in the book of this covenant. Besides being divided physically, as we know the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah were, God's people at that time were also divided spiritually. They had forsaken the word of God, 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 21, go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. They had gone after other gods, verse 25. They have forsaken me, God said. They have burned incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be placed, poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. God's people of that day needed a single standard on which they could unite. They needed to get back to the word of God. So now let's jump ahead some 700 years, 700 plus years from the time from Josiah, the restoration king, to the early church. By this time, Jesus Christ had appeared in the flesh. He had died for the sins of mankind. He had risen from the tomb and ascended back to heaven. But before he returned, he had some things to say. Included would be this. In Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18, when in the coast of Caesarea Philippi with his apostles, having heard Peter confess in verse 16 of Matthew 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 18, Jesus said, I say unto you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, singular, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In John 17, verses 17 through 23, in his prayer to his father in the garden prior to his crucifixion, John 17, 17 through 23, in that prayer, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 
and the glory which thou hast gavest them, I have given them, gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. How do we make an impression on the world? By being one with one another in Christ. Jesus' promise and his prayer were for the unity of his disciples, which unity was to be based on God's word, the truth. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Shortly after Christ's ascension, his promise and prayer began to see fulfillment. In Acts 22, excuse me, Acts 2, beginning in verse 22, this great gospel message was preached. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not, be, it was not possible that he should be held of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in Hades. Neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Read on in verses 37 through 41. We find over 3,000 responded to this message and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ by being immersed for the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and unto your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this tower generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added, about 3,000 souls. The church Jesus promised to build 
had its start on that day of Pentecost in around the year AD 33. According to Acts 2.42, there was unity, unity based on the apostles' doctrine, which came from God. And verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Acts chapters 3 through 5 show the continued growth of the church as they faithfully followed the word of God. In Acts 4 and verse 4, we find that 5,000 more obeyed the gospel and were added to the church. In Acts 5 and verse 14, the word of God says that multitudes obeyed the gospel and were added to the church. Save for the sins of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 1 through 10, the church was unified. Acts 4 and verse 32 says the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. The difficulties, the difficulties they faced were from without, not from within. As the Jewish leaders sought to put an end to the spreading of the gospel in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and beholding the man. I'm sorry, when I read something, Brother Gene probably does the same thing and said, that's a good sermon title right there. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's a good sermon title. Brother Guy and Woos used to say to us, I'll take that and make a good lesson out of it now. Going on then, sorry for the aside. Verse 14, beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, 
you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. But then we see what happened next. The response of the church in Jerusalem to these threats. Beginning in verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company, the Peter and John and the others with them did, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and, and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. You see, rather than discourage or hurt the work of the early Christians, the efforts of their opponents served only to rally them to greater work for the Lord. Reading on now through chapters 6 through 8. Again, we find some challenges within the body of Christ as some express concern in chapter 6 that the needs of certain Christians were not being taken care of, but that matter was quickly handled and the church moved on. You go to Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 says, The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Even the murder of one of its great leaders, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7 and the persecution led by Saul in Acts chapter 8 could not stop the growth of the Lord's church. Acts 8 and verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. In Acts chapter 11, we read of some who were upset because Peter went and preached to the Gentiles. But he answered them with God's word. Continuing through Acts chapter 14, we find the church continuing to grow now not only in Jerusalem, but wherever Christians went. Folks, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice clearly the driving force behind the growth of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in the first century. The driving force behind the unity in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in the first century. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Of course, we know John 16.13 that the apostles were inspired by God. Acts 4 and verse 20, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, again referencing their inspiration. Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts 6 and verse 7, the word of God increased. Acts 8 and verse 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 8 and verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Acts 9, 29, he spoke boldly in the name of or by the authority of, when you do something in somebody's name, you're doing it by their authority. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10, 34 and following. Let's go over there. Acts 10, beginning in verse 34. Peter preached God's word to the house order of Cornelius. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Watch it, verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Acts 11, 19 through 21. They which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phanice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Acts 12 and verse 24, we're still talking about the driving force behind the growth and the unity of the church of Christ in the first century. Acts 12, 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 13, 5, they preached the word of God. Acts 13, 49, the word of the Lord was published throughout the reason, region. Acts 14, verse 7, they preached the gospel. Acts 14, 21, they preached the gospel. Acts 14, 22, they exhorted the disciples to continue in the faith, which Jude refers to as the faith once delivered in Jude, verse 3. The early days of the Lord's church show that it was unified and it was growing. And in this context, the clear reason why was that the word of God was being taught and obeyed. Just like Judah in Josiah's day, they were united in God's word. Just like Jesus prayed they were be, would be, they were united in God's word. Now let's go to Acts chapter 15. Some 20 years have passed since the establishment of the Lord's church in the city of Jerusalem. False doctrine is being spread among the congregations of God's people. There's no scriptural authority for their error, but they teach it anyway. Acts 15 and verse 1. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5. There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful 
to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. As you continue to read on in chapter 15, you'll find that the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem relied on the word of God. Going back to the prophecy of Amos, for instance, in verse 16, they relied on the word of God as delivered by inspired men and that which had been written to resolve this matter. But this wasn't the only false doctrine that had popped up during this time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13 down through actually the rest of the chapter, but there seemed to be an issue regarding error over the second coming of Christ. And so verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, neither as others which have no hope. By the way, read that correctly because it doesn't say don't be sorrowful when a loved one passes or when, in this case, a faithful Christian passes. He's saying you don't need to be sorrowful like someone who's in the world because you have hope and that person who passed away in the Lord has salvation eternally. But the error was apparently that either or or and the error was that they were simply being annihilated that they were not living on after they died or perhaps it could have been the error that says that there will never be seen again there will never be any kind of reunion in eternity but how did paul deal with the error verse 15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. And you've got to read the rest of this. So we think about loved ones who have gone before, we've got to read the rest of this. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I liked hearing that, didn't you? The response to the error was the word of God. Another case of error that was being promoted in the first century among Christians is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. In the church in Corinth they were allowing immorality to go unchecked. A man had his father's wife. Verses 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 5, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily is absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath has so done this deed. 
What was the response to this error? Verses four through seven. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we pointed out in something in the name of someone is by their authority. If somebody writes a check out to you in payment of a service that you gave to them, paid to the order of Joe Jones, what do they do at the bottom of the check? They sign their name. Why do they sign their name? Because it tells the bank that that person is authorizing payment from that account to the account of Joe Jones. It's by the authority of. By the authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We could go on listing errors that are noted in the New Testament that some were trying to bring into the church. Some had successfully brought in. But each time we'd find that it was the inspired word of God that was presented as the solution. But even though the New Testament would be completed before the end of the first century AD, that would not bring an end to the false teaching that some would bring into the church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitting in the temple of God shows himself that he is God. So now we're, we're talking about the first century and beyond. That in this particular case, he's talking about one who would exalt himself and put himself in the position of God. And people would worship him and bow down to him. The response to this, reading on down to verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. His word, the inspired message which he was delivering audibly, his epistle, what he wrote by divine inspiration. What was the answer to this error? What is the answer to 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, this individual the answer is to go back to the word of god first timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 another example of this a continuing error that would some would try to bring into the church now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received 
with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. That's the error. What's the response? Verse 6. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast obtained. Among Paul's final words, which he wrote by divine inspiration, were these in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Let's try to sum all this up. What we've said to this point. Let's turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verses 27 through 33. Under the old covenant, under the law of Moses, what was the single standard that when followed brought people back to God? Let me ask you again. Under the old covenant, what was the single standard that when followed brought people back to God? The answer, you know, was the word of God. Deuteronomy 5, 27 through 33. Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us. These are the people talking to Moses. Speak unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto you and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words. When you spoke unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. And here's another great sermon outline or a Bible class topic or devotional topic. I love this passage. This is from the, the King James translation of this. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You want to know what God wants from us? There you go. Oh, that you had that kind of a heart all the time that wants to follow God. Go say to them, verse 30, get you into your tents again. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak unto you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. You shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. The standard under the law of Moses was the word of God. 
What was the single standard, if you want to turn with me to John 17, which we've already read, but we're going to go back and do it again. In John 17, in Jesus' prayer, what was the single standard that Jesus prayed would be the unifying source of his disciples? Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Verse 20, verse 21, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Maybe jumping ahead just briefly here, but folks, do you see the correlation between unity in the Lord and leading others to Jesus Christ? Do, do we get the big picture here that when we are divided, when people who claim to be Christians are following creeds and doctrines of men, that that's doing nothing but causing confusion among the world. It's not bringing people to Jesus Christ. Jesus wants his people to be one on his word because that is what is going to lead people to him for salvation. Do we see that? Thank you. Under the new covenant. Let's turn now to Galatians 1, 6 through 12. Under the new covenant, when Christians began to go away from God, again, I asked the question, what was the single standard that was used to bring them back? Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What was the standard that brought people back? It's God's word. So let's come to 2022, shall we? Maybe you don't go to Yellow Pages anymore. Now you go to yp.com. You don't probably go there very much. You go to Google or something. But yp.com still has a lot of users. A lot of people still reference the Yellow Pages. So if you go there and you do a search in the category of churches and places of worship in Beaufort, Georgia, do you know you get 693 results? 
and there may be some schools and things in there, but the vast majority of that number are churches. 693. Many of these churches have creeds, manuals, disciplines, or some other quote-unquote inspired words that they follow in addition to the Bible. While others believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them directly, telling them things that are contrary to what the Bible has already said. So here's the lesson. And I'm always a, 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 let me make sure that I don't have any misunderstanding. There is no creed, as it were, of the Church of Christ. There is no discipline. There is no Church of Christ doctrine. As a member, as one who's obeyed the gospel, you're a member of the Church of Christ. You're not Church of Christ. Or as I heard one people, one person called me one time a Church of Christer. And I thought, are you that soaked in denominationalism that you can't even understand what it means just to be a Christian? So what I'm about to say while we say this is the plea of the, the Church of Christ is not something that's been codified in a discipline or a manual somewhere out here. This is Christians who want to go back to God's Word and who want everybody else to come back to God's Word too. The plea of the Churches of Christ is simply that we need to get back to the Bible appealing to the New Testament specifically as our authority. We need to reject man-made creeds. Some of you may not even be familiar with creeds or, or disciplines or manuals. Maybe you've never seen one. Maybe you have. But we must reject man-made creeds. As one good brother said years ago, if a creed has more in it than God's word has, it's too much. If a creed has less in it than God's word has, it's too little. And if a creed has the same thing that God's word has, you don't need the creed. You got God's word. We must give up human, ungodly, unscriptural traditions we must forsake opinions that are contrary to the Word of God. In short, our plea is let's just be Christians only. Not hyphenated Christians. Christians only. And the only way to do that is to open the New Testament to examine the New Testament to see the church's plan of salvation in the New Testament acceptable worship in the New Testament 
the organization of the church in the New Testament and principles for faithful daily living in light of God's written word and then abide by those truths. Now that sounds fairly simple, doesn't it? And that was God's plan. And it still is. Mankind has complicated God's plan. So now questions. Why doesn't everyone accept that plea to go back to the Bible? Why doesn't everyone accept that plea and go back to the New Testament and be Christians only as the New Testament with the New Testament as their sole authority? Why doesn't everybody do that? Well, let's ask this first. Why didn't they do it in the first century? Why wasn't every Christian just satisfied with following God's word? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll give you some answers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's got verse 3 on there, but let's start in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to, to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. You're worldly minded. Whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? Why did some in the first century leave God? Because they were worldly. Third John verse nine, why did some in the first century leave God and not come back to his word? The answer is in third John verse nine because of self-centeredness. We read there about a man named Diotrephes, and it says that I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among us, did not receive us. Diotrephes wanted to be the sole center of attention. He wanted to rule over Jesus Christ. He wanted to be the one who was the big name on the marquee. Well, that never happens today, does it? But we're still in the first century, so let's stay there. Diotrephes, the self-centeredness, kept him from going back to God's word. The third reason first century folk would not go back to the word of God is because they wanted to go back to their doctrines that they followed before they became Christians. Look in Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Paul said, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I verily, or excuse me, I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. 
Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. Yeah, it's a problem when Christians want to go back to their old ways. In fact, wasn't it Peter who talked about that in 2 Peter chapter 2, the closing verses? He said it's like the, the dog returning to its vomit and the pig going back to its mire. We see people today asking the question, why doesn't everyone accept the plea to go back to the Bible and be Christians only with the New Testament as their sole authority? We see people today rejecting God's plan for these same reasons and more. So that today we encounter people who say things like this. The Bible is not relevant today. It's an outdated book. So we look in John 12 and verse 48. And we see Jesus saying, He that rejecteth me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, folks, if the Bible is irrelevant, then why will God use it to judge us? 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. For all flesh is as grass, and the, all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. If the Bible is not relevant today, that verse makes no sense. The word of the Lord is forever. And then Hebrews 4 and verse 12. says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If the word of God is not relevant, then it is anything but what we just read. If it's not relevant, it's not alive. It's dead. It's useless, just like any old language that Man has had over the centuries and that doesn't use anymore. It's a dead language. It's a dead book. But it's not. Then there are those who believe that we can't understand the Bible alike. What's the use? In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, 
Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of, there it is again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If it's true that we can't all understand the Bible alike, that verse has no meaning. And then, finally, there are those who say, well, it doesn't really matter anyway. Just do what your heart says. Be a good person. And you go to heaven. Luke 6 and verse 46 Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And then finally, John 17, this idea that it doesn't really matter whether we're unified or not contradicts Jesus' prayer for unity. The bottom line here, folks, is this. If there is to be unity in Christ, it can only come through one avenue, namely God's inspired word. Anything short of this is mere union based on man-made principles. Anything short of this comes short of the will of God and the prayer that Jesus offered in John 17. Now, Kevin told me that clock's a little slower than what the actual time is. If I can get you to bear with me, I'm on my last page. Is unity in Christ possible? God wants it and Jesus prayed for it. If unity is not possible, why did Jesus pray for it? If unity is not possible, then there are no blessings for striving for it and no consequences for not seeking it. If unity is not possible, then the standard that can bring unity, namely the word of God, is weak. And while many speak of a desire for unity, somewhere along the route to that goal, there's a breakdown. Many people agree on the promises of God. You see, people, isn't that interesting, isn't that ironic that someone says, well, we can't understand the Bible alike, but when you start talking about heaven and, and folks want to agree with you on that, wait a minute, I thought you said we couldn't understand that alike. What we understand is we want to go to heaven. While many speak of a desire for unity, somewhere along the route to that goal, there's a breakdown. Many agree on the promises of God, especially the promise of heaven. Many agree on the facts of the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. The disagreement that seems to be centered, or rather seems to be centered on the New Testament commands of God. With the most common statements being, I don't have to do that to be saved. And another comment saying, well, the Bible doesn't say not to do that.
God gave us a book that we can understand. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, he is not the author of confusion. John 8, 31 through 32, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If we can't know the truth, we can't be free. But it takes effort on our part. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study or give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Our plea is for unity. But there can be no real unity in the eyes of God if his word is not the standard. You can have union. You can have agreement among people. But you can't have unity with God. We must get back to the Bible. Let me close with this illustration. Several years ago, there were two shoe salesmen who were sent to a remote country. When they got there, they discovered that nobody there wore shoes. Salesman number one sent a telegram back to his office. He said, no one here wears shoes. It's a waste of time for me to be here. Bring me home. Salesman number two sent a wire back to his company and said, no one here wears shoes. Incredible opportunity, send more inventory. The point being, there are a lot of our friends and neighbors and coworkers and even family who we need to invite back to the Bible to sit down and study with us And to do like God had begged of Israel in Isaiah 1 and verse 18, come now and let us reason together and open the book and go back to the word of God. I appreciate your good time and attention this evening. Let's bow together in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. It's so powerful. And we're thankful that you inspired it and gave it to us. May we be better students of your book each day, taking what we read into our hearts and incorporating them into our lives. Bless us to be the influence we need to be, to live in a way that pleases you, to do as Paul told Timothy, to keep ourselves pure. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for the blessings we have in his body this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.